Hi everybody, I'm Real Talk with Chuck and Pam, and we are coming to you, well it's recorded, but we're live right now, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> from the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills, because we just finished up with seeing Glass Onion. Uh-huh. And we're at a press conference, and we had a little bit of time, and thought we would go ahead and update our podcast. We've been a little little lax in doing that last week, so we're going to do a little catch-up today, yep, aren't we? That's right. No catch-up on our potatoes, though, <laughs> did we? Or our <laughs> Didn't eat them. Didn't eat them. So, what do you want to start with, Chuck? Um, well, holiday season is right around the corner, of course. And so the holiday se- uh, movies are starting to come out of the works. And uh, Netf- uh, I shouldn't say Netflix. Apple has one coming out this week called Spirited that uh, I-, I know you saw. You're smiling. I am. <laughs> I had fun. Just, just, just <laughs> mentioning the title, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's Will Ferrell. Come on, and Ryan Reynolds, who I know you don't love. I do. And yeah, <laughs> you know, and and you know, when I was originally saw the preview to this, I was like, this is going to be a problem because what? they, their personalities at times are very similar as far as calling attention to themselves. Okay. I was like, having two, two of those types of personalities in the movie is going to be a problem. Okay. They're going to be stepping on each other's toes. They're going to be trying to one-up. And, and that wasn't the case for most of it. So that was, that was a relief. Um, I thought it was very clever. Interesting new take on A Christmas Carol. Apparently, Scrooge wasn't the only one saved by the ghosts of Christmas <laughs> present, past, and yet to come. This is a whole, like, corporation-type thing. Uh, of the afterlife. Of the afterlife, yeah, like a supernatural salvation company. And they decide that they're going to save one person a year, uh, the one that will have the greatest effect if they are redeemed, and to spend the year researching this person and uh, you know, delving into their past and setting up huge productions and to recreate uh, certain things. I mean, it's a, just a, a multi-million dollar seemingly enterprise. And they decide that they're going to save this guy named Clint Briggs this year, who's played by Reynolds. And he is a PR man who has no problem sowing uh, disinformation and discontent in the uh, pursuit of bigger bucks from his clients. Uh, He also has a niece who he ignores. uh, And that is very tragic because Denise's mother, Briggs' sister, has died. Uh, and she wanted him to take care of her, and there have been problems there. Uh, um, and then, of course, you've got uh, Will Ferrell as the ghost of Christmas present. He's gonna, he, he decides this is the guy we're going to save, even though tell, everyone tells him he's unredeemable, but he's determined to save him. And it's a musical. <laughs> and it's a musical. <laughs> it does forget that it's a musical partway through, um, but it, it does come back to be that musical. And um, nobody can sing. <laughs> no one. No one. <laughs> Which makes it even more fun. I mean, we've got um, Octavia Spencer, yeah. who does a fine job as the secretary who Briggs is basically is yeah. almost sold her soul mm-hmm. to work with Briggs. And um, Ryan Reynolds can't sing either. And Will Ferrell, not really. No. no. <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, a, I don't know the actor, but the guy who plays Marley. I mean, he had a couple of times when they're about to sing, he says, are we going to do this again? Really? Are we going to? No. So I like the fact that the film recognizes that it is a musical, that musicals are too long, that 
and that these people can't sing. So that was fun. <laughs> but there are singers and dancers in there that are extraordinary, right. especially toward the end. I wish they actually would have done a little bit more of that song and dance stuff because I oh. thoroughly enjoy that. In fact, I was singing and dancing at the end of the movie. You oh should have my seen God. some of the I moves am, that I, I had. I am so <laughs> sorry. I missed that. You know, and the songs, none of them are great, but there's one moment. There is there's a sequence that I just absolutely loved. It's a it's a song called Good Afternoon. Oh yeah, Good yeah. Afternoon. Yeah. Good Afternoon Good apparently, afternoon. we are told, <laughs> was a insult because the film goes back to late eighteen hundreds England. Apparently Good Afternoon was an insult. It was a major F U. Major apparently. Good afternoon. No, good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, and the whole this whole number has them just saying good afternoon to other people and them getting upset and and it's there's just an energy to that whole sequence that was like, wow, you know, if that energy had been with the other numbers, I think they really would have had something. And I'm not knocking the film, but that moment just really stood out. Yeah, I, and I, I love all the different iterations there are of A Christmas Carol and Scrooge. And I do like some of the references that they had. And there's a big <laughs> twist in this movie that refers back to The Christmas Carol that I didn't see coming. That really then got me into the movie. Right. I'm like, oh, that's really clever. Yeah, it was clever. clever. Yeah, that definitely. And, and when you can think of something original to do within that tried and true story, that's pretty fun. That is, and that's pretty... Did you, did you notice the elf call out, too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. Stupid. <laughs> So it's check. a quick moment, but it's it's good. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, give this one a shot. Uh, check it out on Apple Streaming yeah, Friday. Yeah, good family one, too. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if it's one that we'll go back year after year. We'll wait and see, but uh, we all had fun with it. Yep, definitely. And there's another movie that is another spin on A Christmas Carol, and that is, I think it's called A Very Merry Karen or Merry Christmas Karen, Karen Mary, or something, wow, okay. something like that. Um, and it's not the greatest movie in the world, but another spin on A Christmas Carol where you have Karen, and we all know what the word Karen means now. Right now, yeah. Where she needs to redeem her soul. Um, and you can stream that on Friday as well. What else we got there, Chuck? We got no notes in front of us today. <laughs> I got notes. You got some notes. I got some notes. What do you want to talk about? Uh, let's, let's do a little catch-up on um, Black Panther. Black Panther, okay. Uh, yeah. You're the, you're the superhero movie Yeah, guy. but I've been talking a lot. That's okay. That's um, <laughs> it's a superhero movie. It's a superhero movie. So. Okay, so this is my, my, my take on a superhero movie. Um, as everyone who's listening knows, I am not a huge fan unless it's Zachary Levi, um, which is absolutely fine with me to watch another Shazam movie. Well, um, there's, there's one coming, so know, be ready. I'm All so right. excited. <laughs> um, but Black Panther is... Uh, a sequel to this is Wakanda Forever. It's a sequel to the first one with Chadwick Boseman. Um, as we uh, see in the very first about half hour of the film, it is a beautiful tribute to his death and, and his life. Yeah. I get choked <laughs> up thinking about it because it really it's, was. Yeah. You could see that no one was acting when they were no. when they had this the funeral procession right. and they were talking about the loss. Nobody had to, 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 to act in this, and there was not a dry eye in the theater or on the screen. Can, can you imagine being on that set? No. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> the, the, the gravity, the, the weight that they were all carrying? Uh, I would love to interview any of them and 
uh, I would also imagine it must have been some sort of ca- a cathartic moment as well. Right. And something that and they all needed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A way of celebrating and then a way of healing. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's, I, I know you weren't a big fan of this film, and it is definitely flawed. I mean, I will give you that. But I would say that that whole aspect of the movie helps elevate it above other superhero movies as well and and i think the other aspect that helps elevate it is that because of that this movie is really about grief yeah i mean it's about what happens to you when an unspeakable tragedy occurs what do you do uh and wakanda and all the main characters have to step back reassess their lives and figure out how are they're going to go on how do you you know, you, you, you find your strengths and you build upon them. And that's what all of these characters are doing, as well as the country. Uh, so, so that's what I took away from it. And that was the through line for me that kept me interested, despite, you know, your objections. And, and they're valid to, to the structure of the movie. Right. And, and I, I wish, and, and you did point out that there is more dialogue in this film mm-hmm. than there have been in other superhero movies. And I will give it that. Um, unfortunately, I think because I am just so not invested in, is this DC or Marvel? This Do not is Marvel. Me. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the Marvel characters and the Marvel universe and, and everything that comes with that, I, you lose me. And right. I don't know who the upcoming characters are. I don't remember who was in the past. So right. when you start, you know, talking about all of those characters, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I really just don't process it. I, um, I do love the the fact that we had females at the helm. We had Completely. Angela Bassett playing um, Ramonda, uh, and, and the mom, yes, the queen now. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have Lupita Nyong'o, Nyong'o, mm-hmm. and she is a strong character that comes back in a little bit later into the film. And Letitia Wright, who was in um, that Silent Twins movie, right. Yeah. Um, hated that movie. Hated that movie. <laughs> she was wonderful in this. The women are strong. The women, women are, are powerful. I just wish that I would have seen a little bit more of what women do best, and that's communicate and work with other people. I didn't. I felt like I was seeing men in women's role or women well, in men's roles. To that to that point, though, I think they're forced to do this. Uh, you know, they do introduce a character here that's been there been around since the 30s uh, with Marvel Comics before they were Marvel Comics, Namor. Uh, In his underwater kingdom, which was Atlantis, but they changed the name because they don't want to confuse to, you know, with Aquaman, which is stupid. But, you know, he wants to form an alliance with Wakanda. He knows that both their countries are vulnerable. It all goes sideways. And unfortunately, you know, the women are forced to take a more male-driven solution to all of this. Uh, And I thought that was interesting, too. The biggest problem I have with the movie is that sometimes it made no sense whatsoever. There's a character who has invented a machine at MIT, and for some odd reason, Namor wants to kill her. And that leads to all of these problems. Well, why do you have to kill her? I don't know. And, and why? What? I thought they were working together, and then they're kidnapped, and then it's like, oh, someone has to say. Yeah. And yeah. again, that comes down to communication. Right. I, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and true. that was frustrating to me. And the the fight scenes really do go on. There weren't as many this time. I know you're going to argue with me, but there weren't as many. But I will say that one thing at the end I thought was pretty spectacular when you get the whales in there. And the underwater thing on the ship. I know you were bored by that. I was. But, I was. But I was that checked was, out by that. It was pretty good. Um, 
But, you know, you're walking a fine line here because you've got to play to your base. You know, the, the, the customers and I'm not the that base. are... Yeah, the customers are going in to see the spectacle, the fights. You know, I mean, that's what's the bread and butter of these things. And I just thought that it was really unique and special that they were able to weave as much personal things into this. Right. Within right. that whole framework. I, I wish that we would have just had a little bit more of that story as opposed to... I don't know. Again, I just don't enjoy the superhero movies, the mm -hmm. good versus evil at, at all costs and fighting nonstop. It literally lulled me to sleep. And I know you didn't see the scene after the credits, right? No, I booked it out of there. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't take it. I had an hour drive home. Yeah. Big moment. Big, okay. big moment that sets up a lot of stuff. Okay. I wouldn't uh, remember it by this point anyway. Yeah, you would. <laughs> this one you would. All right. You'll have uh, to there, share that with me when we're done recording. Yeah. There is some talk of Angela Bassett being nominated in a supporting role, and that would be wonderful. I think she was She's great. She's incredible. She was Oh, great. my God. She is stunning. Stunning, strength, sorrow, all of it. I mean, she, she brings all of it to that role. And, She's uh, like 64, 65 years old. And I had to she look looks it up. like a there was 38 no year old. Yeah, there was no way. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. She is, yeah. She's stunning. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. She nominated once before and uh, unfortunately been overlooked for far too long. Yeah, and she's so. had some pretty amazing roles that re she really should have won for. Yeah, yeah. You know? So let's hope she gets some, some recognition there. That would be cool. All right, so do we have time to do one more before we go to our press conference? Uh, it's 10.50. I think we do. Okay. I want you to explain to me why you like Sam and Kate. Um, <laughs> okay. tell, tell us about Sam and Kate. Then, All right. Hamster. All right. This is a story about a father and a son and a mother and daughter. Um, both have had some tragedies in their lives. And the dad, Bill, is played by Dustin Hoffman. And his son is played by his actual son, Jake Hoffman. And then we've got the mother-daughter. Um, the mother is played by Sissy Spacek, and the daughter is her daughter, Skylar Fisk. Um, this, this is a strange love story. Yeah, it would be a good way of putting it. <laughs> um, where I think everyone's still trying to figure out where they are in their lives. The son is a bit of a misfit and a bit of an adult who mm -hmm. hasn't gotten his life and act together, and he's taking care of his, his curmudgeon of a father. Mm -hmm. And he has seems to have no edit mode. Um, and then we've got uh, Kate, played by Skylar Fisk, who's taking care of her mom, who's pretty feisty and spunky. Um, but she's got an issue as well, and oh. that's re revealed later on in the movie. Well, the two sets of older and younger people are set up in some way. Uh -huh. and yeah, what in it, some way. In some way. Yeah. What did I like about this? I liked who they were as people. I felt it to be a, a realistic story of personalities. Um, I saw a little bit of my father and Dustin Hoffman. Okay, maybe that was your connection. <laughs> maybe, okay. and I, and you, you can't argue when I saw Sissy Spacek and the woman who plays her daughter, who is her daughter, I'm like, oh my God, they look so much alike. Right. And mm -hmm. there is that natural chemistry, obviously, because these are true life sets of people. I just, I liked who they are. I liked the natural flow of things, of the story. It had a, a nice arc to it. It had a beautiful ending. And it just was a, it was a nice story. Is it something that I would go out and pay money to see? Probably not. I'm going to stream it at home and be entertained because I like who these people are and what they had to bring to the story. You did not like it, did you? It was okay. 
Okay. It was okay. Uh, this is coming to video on demand this week. Um, it just seemed kind of contrived to me. Okay. And I didn't like the Jake Hoffman character. Oh, he was didn't? kind of adult. He was definitely he adult. Was adult. He was a pot smoking non go getter. <laughs> and 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 a huge blunder that he makes in regards to this budding relationship is unforgivable. And that was brushed away way too easy. Okay. Once they get together. Okay. I'm like, no, you're not Okay. That's right. that's you're doomed. <laughs> you're not getting over that. And it just seemed as though her their 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 coming together at the end was just a bit too convenient for okay. me. And I just it's like, come on. All right. Come on, give me a break. Although it was you know, it's always great to see Dustin Hoffman and Sissy Spacey, but uh yeah, you know, obviously they were doing favors. They're being good moms and dads for this. They one. were, they were. All right, we got that, and we're going to take a break right now because we are going to go in for our press conference. So part two, this is like a traveling feast, a traveling podcast. Right, right. We were at uh, the Four Seasons. Now we are at LAX after a brief respite at the Santa Monica Beach. And here we go. Timing couldn't be perfect. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Let's in a fork right away. Oh. That's awesome. Yes. Thank you. Our lunch dinner delivered with perfect timing at the California Peach Pizza Kitchen. So there's going to be a lot of ambient noise here. There is, chief, we apologize. Chief among it, my uh, going to be my fork clanging against my bowl. But you know. Thank you. Uh, oh, it's plastic, so it won't clank. Thank, Thank you. Plastic cutlery, <laughs> so okay, so it won't be too bad. So, so we did talk about spirited. And uh, Black Panther 2, Sam and Kate. We've got a couple more we want to cover this week because this is, of course, the busiest time of year. Studios always hang on to their big productions at the end of the year to be fresh in the voters' minds as far as awards are concerned. So we want to stay on top of things. Did you see Enola Holmes 2? I did. What did you think of the first one? You know, I had a lot of fun with the first one. I thought it was high energy, high pace, cool spin on who Sherlock Holmes was and his family. And I love the whole suffragette movement aspect with Helena Bonham Carter playing the mom and how she taught her baby girl how to fight and stick up for herself and to think and do puzzles. I thought it was smart. I loved the little puzzles that she had to solve and then she had an actual mystery to uh -huh. solve. And she did. Um, I enjoyed the first one. The second one I enjoyed as well, um, but not quite as much. I think she's grown up a little bit, mm -hmm. and I think that kind of changes. It's not adorable anymore. No. You know? But I will say that my son, and he would kill me for saying this, so that's <laughs> why I'm going to say it, has quite the crush on the Millie Bobby Brown. Mm-hmm. And in watching her, I've never gotten into the Stranger Things, mm -hmm. uh, but in watching her in these two films, I understand it. She is nothing but charming. Mm -hmm. Absolutely charming. And she's one of those performers who has that, that screen presence that you, it's something you can't teach. You either got it or you don't. Right, right. And she's got it. And she keeps me hooked on these movies. Mm -hmm. uh, I love Sherlock Holmes. I love the, you know, the original stories many of the offshoots. Any of you who are serious about Sherlock Holmes, avoid these movies, <laughs> I will say. Because they play fast and loose with the Sherlock Holmes canon and what actually happened. So you will get, you'll be driven up the wall if you take any of this seriously. But it is fun. Um, 
And one of the things I liked about this one, number two, was that it's based on an actual incident. Right. I didn't know that until the very end. Me that was either. so cool. And I looked it up girls. and I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is fascinating. But it, apparently there was a strike uh, in the 1880s in London uh, involving matchstick girls. These were w young girls, women that worked in factories that made matchsticks. And apparently they changed uh, the type of phosphorus that was used for the uh, match heads and it was leading towards sickness, illness, death. Right, they blamed uh, on typhus. Exactly, and uh, you actually look up, I don't know if you looked up some pictures, no, but I there didn't. there were some pictures of um, what would happen. And there was a picture, there was a scene earlier in the movie when they said it was typhus. Right. And one of the girls had a very enlarged jaw and yes. everything. Yeah. That was an actual condition that they were oh, suffering from. And these women went on strike and forced change within this industry. And that's part of what this mystery uh, revolves around because Enola has to find a young woman who was working at the factory who's disappeared. And for a reason that I will not disclose. And that adds to the whole mystery of who's behind it, who's the bad guy. And I have to say, I, I really did enjoy all of this, but some of the characters were so one-dimensional, I kind of think it took away from the story. Like, the bad guys were really just the bad yeah. guys. You know? And, and that's fine. Um, I like the relationship between um, Henry Cavill, Sherlock Holmes, and Enola Holmes. Right, it's very good. Um, it, it is good. And something that was so charming to me, and I don't know if you find this uh, with your sibling or not, I know when I go and I see my older brother, I'm still a little kid in his mind. Right. And that's the same kind of treatment that Anola gets from her big brother, and he starts to see her almost as an equal. And so that was kind of cool to see that relationship develop. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, because she's trying to set up her own detective agency mm -hmm. and is running into no shortage of problems because of her brother's reputation. And because she's female. And she's female, of course. Um, like the first one, I think this one's too long. And the first one, I got to tell you the truth, I lost the thread of the mystery, the first one. Um, and this one, like I say, is too long as well. But I love, I absolutely love when Enola, Millie, turns towards us and talks to us. Breaking that fourth wall is it fun. It is great because you just see the humor, the delight in this performer. She's just so likable. She is. So ingratiating. And you can tell she doesn't take herself seriously. I mean, Anola looks foolish at times uh, when she's trying to figure out what to do with uh, Lord Toopsbury, right, right. who she's in love with. She's completely flummoxed. I mean, that's the big mystery to her. Right. She can't figure out what to do with her feelings or this guy. And, and this new little love story is adorable. It is. That that part is still adorable. Yeah. You know. And again, you see her not perfect. She has her failings, and you relate to her. Um, if they could just make these things about 20 minutes shorter, I think they would move much better and be much more co coherent. I'm not even going to try to explain the mystery. <laughs> no, I mean, no, you shouldn't. Uh, yeah. No, it, it went down so many little alternative paths. Right. Um, um, but, but streaming now on Netflix, check it out. It's one of those movies you can watch with your teen and everybody can be happy. And production values. Oh my gosh, Gorgeous amazing, film. right? You know, and she produced this film and the other one too. She's a very uh -huh. smart young woman. She and is. Uh, obviously they have not skimped on these movies. They're really great to look at. Mm -hmm. What else we got there, Chuck? We have got... I can't read your writing. You can't read my writing. Sunhead. Armageddon Time. Okay. Let's talk about Armageddon Time. That was one that was supposed to be something and I don't think it was. 
if you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm trying to think what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's supposed to be a big time awards contender for the year. Um, I know that people are comparing it to The Fablemans because that is about Steven Spielberg's formative years. This is about writer-director James Gray's formative years. So thematically, oh, they're the that's same. that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> that, that, you just didn't remember? No. Yeah, okay. That well, that says everything. totally went out of my head. That says everything, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is a movie that has good intentions, but I think far too many problems. Uh, you know what? I think that it goes back to the fact that nobody's life is that interesting unless you take some poetic license and expand on it. I don't think that he expanded on enough poetic license to have us engage with this little boy who is so immature for his age and really has been protected by from so many different he things is in life. So unlikable. Yes. He is such an unlikable um, character, which is based on James Gray. Right. And I did happen to read a interview with him last night and he says you know I was complete shit mm-hmm. I was a total terror and to his credit he's not sugarcoating that who cares yeah there is a lack why of do engagement. I ca- why do I care about this movie there's a lack of engagement in this mm-hmm. film the only time that I felt like I was in the movie is when Anthony Hopkins was on the screen as yeah. the grandfather the grandfather yeah I needed more of that I needed to have one solid relationship not ten and little snippets and slices of, of life and that's what this is, is a slice of life but man it was like a slice of pizza is made out of cardboard and I just chewed and chewed and chewed and still got no flavor out of it. Yeah and it's gonna be interesting. Alright, I'll come back. When okay. we see um the Fablemans, how this compares. Right. Um I know that Spielberg ended up writing um that script with Tony Kirshner his frequent collaborator. I know Gray wrote this one on his own. And maybe that's part of the problem. I mean, I think sometimes you can get too close to your own stuff. And you need another pair of eyes, something a bit more objective. And I don't think that was there. Right. I would agree with you. And, you know, I think I've said to you, I'm not the greatest fan of Jeremy Strong or Anne Hathaway. Mm -hmm. But they star as the parents. And they did a really a good job with, with what, they, what had. they had. Yeah, yeah. So good of a job that I kept wanting more of them. I need more about the dynamic between you two. Right. How did this relationship with your son develop? Right. Where, yeah, where and their this... relationship, because it's very angry and very uh, volatile. And you don't see them headed down the same path. Mm-hmm. So you have to wonder, how did this start and where do things start to diverge with them? Because they're in, you know, they want to support the family. They're going to take care of the kids. I get that, but... As far as interests and how to go about it, it's that. I mean, there's one wonderful moment um, at someone's funeral in which Strong, the father, talks about his relationship with the family and his background and how no one believed in him, but you know, this person did, and I'll always be. You know, that's right. the. We needed more of that. Right. But I mean, it just. Yeah, Armageddon time, I think they thought it was just going to come in and sweep all the awards and nominations, and it just left me flat. It absolutely flat, and totally unmemorable to me, because I seriously Obviously. could not remember <laughs> what that was about. It's been, it's probably been out for a couple weeks now. It has been. Yeah. It has been, so. Yeah. Yeah, not surprised you didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two that you've seen uh-huh. that I haven't. Uh, one called Slumberland, 
And another, she said, which I'm very anxious for because it has one of my all-time favorite people in it, Carrie Mulligan. Okay, and it also, um, it, it, I'm not going to talk too much about that, but I want everyone to see this movie. This is a really angry movie. Two New York Times reporters who dared to break the story about Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. um, and we know what happens. We know they break the story. But what we don't know is the journey that they took in order to get that story out there and the support that they had from their supervisors at the New York Times and the death threats that they got as they were collecting information and interviewing women who were too scared to talk about what happened to them. And the fortitude, the resilience, the, the tenacity of these two women, one who had just given birth to a, a little baby and the other one who was a mother of a couple of kids, what they did in balancing their life and their work and knowing that what they were doing was the right thing to do. They didn't, they didn't have confidence, though, that it was going to make a difference. Um, so, man, I, I left, and I, I get teary, I'm thinking about this. I want to really discuss this with you once you see it. Okay. Um, it, is, it is angering and empowering all at the same time. Incredible performances. And they're, uh, two, they're two supervisors, Patricia Clarkson yes. and Andre Brower, right. who I, I like both of them as well. Yeah, I mean, incredible cast of characters, um, small, small ensemble cast, um, but really takes you on this journey and you feel like you have just walked hand in hand with them. Well, I'm going to see this Thursday night, so we can talk about it then. Perfect. One that I'm probably not going to see... Yes. That you saw, yeah, Slumberland. Okay, what the this, heck is that about? This is a, this is a Netflix movie. <laughs> Jason Momoa is in it, um, along with this little girl who's lost her father. She lives out in a, on a lighthouse. She, her mother has passed away. Her father lives with her, raises her, played by um, Kyle Chandler, who you know oh. I love. And uh, they're lighthouse keepers. And this little girl is as independent as she could possibly be. One night, Dad goes out to rescue a boat from a storm. And um, he doesn't come back. He has passed away. Huh. Yeah. So her uncle, who she's been estranged from, has to raise her now. And he lives in New York City. He is a cold and aloof man. Chris O'Dowd. Not quite the right hmm. casting for this character. I, say, I don't picture him as that. Yeah, but I mean, in the end, it's fine. But I would have chosen maybe somebody else for that role. Right. Anyway, it starts off a little stiff. The little girl, I feel like, you know, maybe they filmed this in sequential order. She seemed a little unsure of herself by the after the first half hour. It was as if she got her gro in her groove. She was comfortable in what she was doing. She is trying to find her way back to her father and she can only find him when she dreams. And then this monster comes in, this nightmare, and she has to figure out how to navigate her dreams. Yeah. And Jason Momoa is one of these monsters that comes in, and they end up teaming up to try and figure out each of their lives. It's, it's a really sweet movie, and I don't know if you've ever had like the same recurring dream. Oh yeah. Okay, what, can I ask you what your dream is? <laughs> Um, I have a dream about a tiger. Really? A tiger. I'm walking out in like the plains of Africa on tall grass. And uh, I know something bad's going to happen. Okay. And uh, there's always this tiger behind me, following me. And I'm waiting, constantly waiting for it to attack me. Oh my goodness. Okay. 
I have a dream that I am driving too fast. Imagine that. Okay. And I'm taking a corner a little too fast. This is not a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and I careen out of control. And it's usually... I'm high up above somewhere, and I'm always over water, and my car just goes off like a roller coaster car off the roller off the rails. Okay. Um, this movie is, I think, really good for adults and kids because it it's it explains the nightmares, it explains dreams, and you're given dreams for a reason and a purpose so that you can navigate life. You're not, you don't dream them. It's not a random thing. No, it's it's it is for a purpose. I really liked it. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, it it definitely kind of answered a couple questions in my mind. I mean, you know, possible answers to mm-hmm. what your dreams are for, and, and um, yeah, take it out, take a uh, uh, look at that on Netflix. 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 I am so uh-huh. tired, Chuck. Yeah, I, I can't even tell I you. I can't tell. <laughs> can't tell. Well, we are dealing with jet lag. We are about to get on a plane in about a half hour to come back to Chicago, which will only exacerbate that. So we should probably quit while we're ahead. I think we should. Right. <laughs> but next podcast, we'll be talking a bit more about the event that we just uh, attended out here for Glass Onion, uh, the Onion. Knife, Knife Onion, the uh, <laughs> Netflix um, Knives Out sequel. We'll also touch upon She Said in more depth because I'm going to see that. And also, I think we're going to talk about. Uh, the menu. I'm hoping to get to that. I don't know about you. That sounds good to me, and I'm hoping that I can get to The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Yes, it's the best movie I've seen this year, and we need to talk about okay. it. You go see She Said, and I will go see Banshees. And then we also have The Fablemans coming up, uh, Bones and all, just so much stuff that Absolutely is happening. Right. Uh, and we're going to do our best to keep you up to date on that. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for dealing with all the ambient noise we have going for you. And uh, we hope you'll come back. Cheers.